Hey everyone, welcome to episode 12 of Conversations That Don't Suck. We have Kat Velos on today and I'm so excited for y'all to hear this conversation with Kat. It is super timely. We actually just recorded this a few days ago and normally I won't release a podcast episode, usually for at least a month or two until um, from the point at which I record it, but this one was so timely and just such a a ripe conversation for the current time that we're in, so I wanted to release it as soon as possible. Um, So Kat is a user experience designer, she's a speaker, she's a facilitator, and she has a big passion for helping people connect authentically, and she and I have that in common, and so I loved, loved, loved having this conversation with Kat, and lucky for me, she lives in the Bay Area, and we get to be friends in real life. Uh, Unlucky for me, we're not allowed to go outside and see people right now, (laughs) so uh, we have not seen each other in in a, a couple, I don't know, a month or two, but um, yeah, very grateful, Kat, to have you in my life, and this conversation was so beautiful and just so full of wisdom, and Kat is such a, really is an expert in connection and in helping to create meaningful spaces of connection for people and, and how that happens and how that needs to get facilitated, and it doesn't just happen by magic, by getting people into a room who have something in common, so she and I had a really good time jamming out about those things. Before we dive into the episode, I just want to send a lot of love to you listening and to the whole entire world because we're in a funky time i'm saying this like at the beginning of every episode now um but yeah remains relevant and i know i'm really appreciating um the opportunity to go inward actually that's not different from how i'm always living my life i spend a lot of time alone and in self-reflection but um, even before all of this happens, but I'm appreciating the opportunity to look shit in the eye that I not don't have the ability to run away from, and it's just interesting that everything that's come up for me and probably for most of us over these last few weeks that this has been really intensely sweeping across the U.S. Um, is that yeah, whatever is coming up for me is not something that is new. It's not something that has been created by the existence of this pandemic and the circumstances. It's something that. It was a fear that was always there and now it's just getting amplified. So be that a fear of death, be that a uh, control problem, be that um, fear of being alone forever. All of these things have come up really fucking strong for me in the last few weeks. And as uncomfortable and truly unpleasant as it has been, I've been enjoying the opportunity to just fucking deal with it. And I'm sorry, being um, cavalier is like my favorite coping mechanism, so you're just going to hear a lot of that from me over the next few weeks in these intros as I'm recording this and talking about, about what's going on in the world. Um, but no, I'm, I'm really enjoying the opportunity to, to look those things in the eye and to, to work through them, um, and I'm grateful that I have a lot of support and connection in my life to, to do that, even though it really feels so incredibly lonely a lot of the time, um, which is super normal. And I want to say, if you're feeling lonely... It doesn't matter how many avenues you have for connection. It's still okay to feel lonely. And I'm just I'm just reading so much right now about like how to combat loneliness in the age of coronavirus. And it's like, you know what? Loneliness doesn't want to be combated. Loneliness wants to be embraced. Loneliness wants to be hugged. Loneliness wants to be accepted into our worlds right now because loneliness was here before coronavirus happened. We were lonely before coronavirus happened. Now we just can't run from that feeling. So I think it's time to embrace it instead of constantly trying to fight it. Um, And I'm just so tired of this conversation around fighting loneliness. Um, We're not not getting rid of it. It's fucking here. It was always here. And now we just can't run away. So what are we going to do? We got to look it in the eye. We got to 
address it in community instead of trying to avoid it as individuals, which is really the conversation I hear most people in this field having, and it's really upsetting. So, whew, all right, I'm done with my little rant there. Um, I think that's the last thing. Oh, nope, it's not the last thing. One more thing I do want to ask. Um, if you're listening to this, I'm really curious if people are listening to podcasts more often or less often now that all of this is going on. I, for one, am, am listening to them less often. I Podcasts were something I more so did like when I was commuting on the bus or on the train um, or when I'm walking somewhere through the city. Now I'm kind of doing it less. I have less interest in listening to podcasts just being around my house. Some people, it's the opposite. With all their extra time, they want to listen to podcasts all day long. So I'm curious if you're listening to them more or less and I've also heard a lot of feedback from people that they enjoyed the solo cast last week so much. And definitely looking at my podcast analytics, it did. I've gotten more downloads of that episode than any of the other episodes I've released in the last 12 or 13 weeks that I've been doing this podcast. So I don't know if that's because you like hearing from me, if it's because you like hearing about heartbreak, if it's because you like poetry. I got to know what did the people want and I will give you what you want. So um, yeah, if you want more solo casts, then reach out to me, reach out to me via email or Facebook or Instagram, however it is that you found out about this. Um, Then reach out to me through my website, uh, whatever it is, and tell me, yeah, what are your preferences? Or you're like, we don't want to listen to podcasts anymore. Or if you're like, we only want to hear about you, or we just want to hear about all the sad shit that's going on in your heart. Then like, great, I got buckets of all of that. So um, let me know what it is. And I, um, yeah, I want to give the people what they want, what feels most juicy to all of y'all to listen to. Okay, well, I think that's it for me for now. This might've been the longest intro I've recorded and it's only been six minutes, actually. I'm kind of impressed with myself. I can keep this shit succinct. Okay. Um, we're going to dive into the podcast episode with Kat. I hope you enjoy it. And I love you all so much. We live in a world that is starved for more authentic connection. Better conversations are our first step in getting there. Welcome to conversations that don't suck. I'm your host, Kyla Sokol Ward, and I'm here to engage you in truth telling discussions about the super deep, always beautiful, sometimes ugly, and wholly honest parts of being a human. Real connection and empathic communication can feel easy and should be a part of our everyday lives. Most of our conversations suck. These ones don't. Hi, Kat. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Thanks for having me on, Kyla. I'm really glad to be hanging out with you. Yes, yeah, same, over, same. <laughs> over <laughs> our ears. <laughs> yeah. The internet. <laughs> Being so close, but so far away, just on the other side of the bridge. Yeah, what's Berkeley feeling like these days? Well, I would say it's a mix of quiet and um not like it's quiet obviously like people I think are taking the shelter in place really seriously and staying home but I also I've only gone for like a couple of walks in the last two weeks and the not quiet part is where I'm like wow there's a lot of people out for walks I'm like everyone should be at home (laughs) then I'm like I should go back home (laughs) um so that's kind of funny to see more people out and about of course midday because everyone's home Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Also in San Francisco, it's like if you go outside around like 5 p.m. when people are finishing their workday, like there are so many people outside. I'm like, I feel like this is not safe. This is not the. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. This is like not what they're saying. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Man. Wow. Yeah. Well, new times. I would love for you to um, dive in and tell us who you are and what you're about and we can flow from there. 
Yeah, so hello, I'm Kat Bellos. Um, I am the author of a book called We Should Get Together. It came out in January 2020, shortly before the pandemic. Um, and uh, that book is focused on helping adults cultivate stronger, more resilient friendships because adult friendship is hard and the loneliness epidemic sucks and it's only getting worse. And so um, I used my experience as a user researcher and UX designer to basically look at what it would be like to redesign the adult friendship experience. Um, I'm a facilitator and I've been leading groups and workshops and things of that nature uh, for many, many years. <laughs> But this felt like the biggest need in the world right now that I could contribute to. So I spend my time uh, doing that. I also just released an addendum to it called Connected from Afar, which is what you and I are certainly doing right now and what a lot of people are doing now that mm. we're uh, quarantined or sheltering in place. And unfortunately, it's very hard to maintain our connections and when we're in isolation. And there's a great number of people who are isolating all by themselves. So um, that is what I'm about. That's my jam. Those are two of the projects I'm doing. And that's what I spend a lot of my time thinking about. Yeah, yes. And I'm currently in the middle of Kat's book, and I highly recommend it. And yeah, I'm so grateful that that we were able to get connected uh, through other super connectors. And so right before we hit record, we were talking about the, like the connect your professional community, I guess we can call it, and how there's been this serious mobilizing that's been going on. And from my perspective, also a lot of burnout happening from so many people trying to help uh, the world right now and trying to get people to feel more connected and have people remain in these like happy and meaningful relationships with one another um, without yeah. loneliness becoming more intense, as you were saying. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I'm curious about your thoughts on all of that. Yeah, it's interesting. I noticed, especially in the first week, uh, week and a half of the Bay Area's uh, shelter in place, that like maybe because um, there's a high number of people out here that like that A are like comfortable embracing technology and B are very into like I know there's like a big Burning Man community here, like the the blossoming of like zooms and meetings and workshops and webinars and things it seemed to happen very quickly which is cool because mm -hmm. it meant that a lot of people were immediately adapting to the new conditions and restrictions and still finding a way to innovate and offer ways for people to connect online but I also um very quickly myself was like oh my god there's like too many things like there was a moment of quiet where I was like oh this is actually somewhat peaceful um, obviously, aside from like the fear and anxiety of a pandemic, but there was a quietness that as an introvert, I found pretty comforting right away to just be like, mm -hmm. I can stay home. I don't have to feel guilty, like saying I don't want to go to a party or something. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm, I'm very curious to know actually what a lot of other people are thinking as far as like, are they overwhelmed with the number of virtual things happening? What does it feel like to want to connect with people at like a virtual dance party or like a virtual happy hour? Like, are there things that people are finding that meet their needs at the moment that need is salient? Or is it just overwhelming and they just like, they're like, I'm just going to watch Netflix or <laughs> whatever. I, I feel like I, because I'm an introvert, I get my social needs met 
pretty, pretty easily as far as like, it doesn't take a whole lot of hours or a lot of mm-hmm. time for me to feel satiated. And because of that, I want those hours and time to be spent on really, really great conversations and connection like the one we're having. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that that's okay if like a couple of those a week, you know, um, it's funny. There's a tweet or meme going around that's like, please check on your extrovert friends because they're yeah. not okay. And I'm just like, yeah, like now they're getting a taste of introvert life. It's kind of hard <laughs> to adjust to that. But like on the flip side, introverts and in the quote unquote normal life, introverts are expected to adapt to an extroverted world and extrovert expectations mm. 100% of the time. And so it's, it's interesting. Oh, I love that you said that about like that the the introverts always have to live in the extrovert world. And now like we're kind of getting the flip of that. I, I hadn't thought of it in that context. And it's so true. And and I think what is special about this is that as you're saying, like as introverts, and I'm also very introverted, it doesn't take very much for me to get my social needs met as long as I am engaging in really meaningful social interactions, which I know, of course, is very important to you as well. Yeah. And um yeah. And I think like with all of the stuff going on online, I also had that same thought. And like, I was also, am and am still organizing like virtual connection things happening online. And I'm like, oh, is this too much? Like, are people sick of being on Zoom? Like I sure as hell I am. I don't know if everyone else is. <laughs> and um, the, the key is that like, it's really high quality connection that's happening. So whenever I hear about like happy hours on Zoom, I'm like, definitely no, thank you. Like definitely. <laughs> I don't want to go to happy hour in person ever. I don't, I definitely don't want to do it online. Yes. Um, so yeah, like unless you're like highly facilitating this happy hour, like I definitely don't want to go. So um, yeah, that is interesting. And I, I wonder, like, it also makes me really curious about the people who are organizing these things online. Like, are they learning new facilitation skills in ways to, who maybe like, didn't have much of facilitation backgrounds in the beginning. Like, are they learning new facilitation skills and ways to like really bring people together in meaningful ways instead of just mm. getting people into a room and talking? Right. Because mm. those two things are not the same thing. Right. You know? It's not enough to just be like, oh, we're here and we're talking. Therefore, it's like meaningful or it's <laughs> providing like that feeling of like connection or belonging that will like satiate you versus like, I'm just making chit chat and I didn't like this already, you know? Right. Yeah. Mm. Yes, it depends. What, what what you're into? What kind of cake you like? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I'm curious like about your journey with deciding to dive into adult friendship as a as a career choice topic essentially and like your journey with friendships and I know you talk about this a little bit in your book. Um but yeah, what that's been like for you because and I ask this because I know, I know like maybe one or two other people off the top of my head who focus on like adult friendships in their work. And I always wonder like when you tell people about your work, do they feel like turned off by it? And I only ask that because there, I think there is so much shame around the fact that we don't have the meaningful friendships that we want in our lives. Many, many adults. And, mm-hmm. um, and I wonder if some people are like, oh, what? I, don't, I don't need that. I don't, I don't need to learn how to make friends. Like that's for sad people. I don't need that. Even though like we all freaking do. Um, yes, I'm curious about what your journey has been in your personal life and also in sharing this with other people. Yeah, I, it's actually the opposite. Like most of the time when I tell people that this is an area that I focus on, you wouldn't believe like right away people are like, oh my God, it's so hard. Like that's mm. so necessary because what, even if it's hard and um, 
I've been researching this starting, I guess, like about five years ago. Um, it was overwhelming how many people were like, oh my God, this is so hard. And people don't frequently talk about it. It's like a challenge that they have that they just kind of keep to themselves. And I think social media can paint the picture that like everyone else has it figured out except for you. Mm -hmm. And so people are like, oh, like they either think it's just them or they blame themselves for not being, you know, X, Y, Z enough, whether it's extroverted enough or funny enough or charming enough or whatever. Um, and there's some self-blame, which I think is like not warranted whatsoever. And there, there isn't enough of the verbalizing that mm -hmm. like it's a challenge or it's something that people are working on, which makes it harder to solve a problem if you can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so when I started digging into this topic uh, about five years ago, I moved to the Bay Area six years ago and I've lived a lot of places. I've lived in multiple states cross-country, like different cities, like I've moved a ton of times, had like dozens of roommates, like, and this was the only place I ever had like a harder time making like established friendships. Like I was making friends all the time. I was going to meetups and brunches and dinner parties and like meeting cool people. It wasn't hard, like that's not hard for me. Um, even though I'm introverted, I'm like a social introvert, I'm not shy, for example. Um, but having the continuation and the deepening of those friendships was very hard. It was like a lot of one-off meetups or a lot of one-off conversations. And a lot of the people that I started talking to were saying that they were having the same experience. And so that kind of fascinated me. Um, in my work, I'm a UX designer. So that means like, so I've just left my job at Slack like a, about two months ago. And before that, I was at Pandora. And my job is to understand what task people are trying to accomplish, figure out where there's friction or difficulty in accomplishing that task. And then um, with a combination of like research and design, like coming up with a new solution that will make it work in a pleasant and enjoyable way. So that's like my work work. But the experience I had of I'm having, I had this weird thing with like, why am I having a hard time like making regular friends? Mm -hmm. Or like I would make a regular friend and then they would move away. Like I went to so many going away parties. It was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw my environment and the people I was meeting saying like, well, I'm having trouble with this particular, you know, task, if you will, of establishing adult friendships, like the user experience designer in me could not resist digging into that because I'm led by my curiosity and I'm led by my desire to be of service to people. And so mm -hmm. I could empathize with their experience because it was also something I experienced. And yeah. so that's really where I started doing a bunch of like interviews with people and like really trying to like dig into the research. I ran like a poll with like results coming from people around the country, different ages, different life stages. Um, I was doing like an interview and portrait series. I was hosting events. I was doing gatherings that were all focused on authentic connection and really unpacking like what gets in the way and what is it that people are craving and how can we come up with new ways of addressing that so that people can have the depth and social wellness that they want. And so that's that's a little bit of like my background, like why I, why I cared about it, why I was drawn to it, and kind of what my approach was to mm. to looking at that. And so, yeah, worked on it off and on for 
close to five years. And then uh, the last year or two was definitely like this heads down, like sprint, like working, like uh-huh. doing all the, doing all the stuff to finish it up. I, I wanted to illustrate it. I wanted it to feel like it had some levity and um, some of the illustrations in there are humorous because we need to be able to like laugh and not feel ashamed of it and not feel mm-hmm. afraid to talk about it. And I wanted it to feel approachable in that way. So that's why I took that style and um, it was really important to get it out as soon as I could because it felt like this was a need that people already had that they'd been like dealing with. I didn't want to delay that at all. So I'm glad it's out there and I'm glad like folks like yourself are still reading it, even though we're, you know, isolated right now in quarantine. Mm -hmm. And it highlights like how much like that phrase, like we should get together, like we should mean it when we use these words. (laughs) And here's a bunch of different ideas and ways that you can, um, can be more successful in that. The book does look at like the four main kind of challenges of adult friendship and gives different strategies for addressing them. Mm, Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious when you're saying that like you've lived in a bunch of different places and, and being in the Bay area has been, or maybe it's in Berkeley specifically, that's, that's been one of the more challenging places um, for you to create those meaningful friendships. What do you attribute to that? So it's not Berkeley specifically, and it's not any city specifically, because like I said, mm-hmm. I've talked to people who had this challenge, mm-hmm. like whether they're in the Bay Area or Seattle or Atlanta or Texas or Chicago, like this is not limited <laughs> to any particular city. So like, <laughs> first off, nobody should blame their city for it. Um, some things do make it more challenging in particular, depending on where you may live. So the Bay Area For example, um, one of the pieces of research that I uh, dug into had to do with the psychological clustering of personality types in the United States. And so there are different clusters of psychology's big five personality traits in different areas. So like Mm -hmm. the Bay Area, which is a place that tends to cluster um, people who are more introverted, people who are more attuned to like innovation, people who are more attuned to like um, one of the traits was neuroticism. That's one of the big five that the the psychologists look at versus like traits like um, dutiful, like being dutiful or being Mm. um, like more community minded. Um, Like those traits were more clustered in like the Midwest, for example. Interesting. And maybe there, they're like maybe less open to innovation certainly than like in San Francisco. And so people tend to move through the world, not necessarily knowing what the cluster will be when they arrive, but that may make it easier or more difficult to accomplish certain things. And in particular, that to me was pretty eye-opening because um, obviously the Bay Area is a place that like is drawn, draws a lot of people who are creative and drawn to innovation and are comfortable like working on like a focused project for a long time to like deliver some creation to the world. And of course this happens everywhere, but obviously there's a large number of people in the Bay Area Mm -hmm. who are that way And what that means then is like we are going to be lacking then on some of the things that are more focused on developing like social capital or Mm -hmm. um, extroversion or uh, just keeping plans, for example. Like when you talk about being dutiful, like are you going to keep those plans or are you going to break them? Like a lot of people break plans. And also the Bay Area has a lot of attrition. So more people leave this region of the country, like they move in and they move out very, very quickly. Um, one of the stats I looked at uh, said that 50% of the Bay Area was planning to move away in the next two years. If you're looking to build wow. long-term friendships and community, like it's going to be a never-ending treadmill because 
you're going to make friends and they're going to move away and you're going to make friends and they're going to move away and they're going to make friends and they're going to move away. And it doesn't mean your friendships end just because they move away, but it just means like, if you want to hang out with people, you either got to pick people who are staying here or you need to be consistently creating new friendships mm-hmm. with people who probably just moved here mm-hmm. <laughs> six months ago. <laughs> um, yeah. So again, we can't entirely place the onus on a place, but certain places I think do make it easier or harder to accomplish certain kinds of tasks. Mm, that is so fascinating. And I, I can't remember if I um, said this to you in, in one of our other conversations, but um, in some of the, the interviews that I've done with people around their experiences with loneliness and with connection, I spoke with this one young woman who lives in Washington, DC, and she moved there recently. Maybe, um, it might've been, she might've been living there for like under a year at the time that I spoke with her. Um, and before that she was living in Oklahoma city. And she was saying that in Oklahoma city, she had these like really strong, meaningful connections with people. And in DC, she was having so much of a harder time. And one thing she was explaining to me was that a lot of her friends in Oklahoma city were also were transplants like her, like they weren't from there, but they were all there like for a very specific purpose and a lot of it had to do with like community organizing and like civic engagement and these types of things and in dc Mm -hmm. she said like so much of her uh so much of the social world is like who you are and status and how many followers do you have on social media and it's just like this very different hierarchy of like why we are all in the same place together um and i i sort of attribute some of that to the bay area it's like a lot of the people a lot of transplants come here to like accomplish a task a lot of it has to do with like getting to a certain position in a company, having mm-hmm. a startup and having it launch in a really successful way. Um, and then we're going to leave. We're going to go somewhere else um, after that happens, after whatever, usually like two to five years for most people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's really, really interesting. And and I do find there is a lot of, I don't know, it's kind of funny. I, I think about this thing with status in the Bay Area a lot in that like when I was in high school, my older brother moved to San Francisco um, after after he graduated from college and he was working at Google. And I grew up in Maryland in just like this random suburb in Maryland. And I remember when I would tell people like, my older brother works at Google. They're like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Like he's at the headquarters of Google. <laughs> and now I know a thousand people that work at Google and like, I don't give a shit. And um, <laughs> like everyone works at Google, like I don't care. And so it's sort of interesting that like, it's almost like all of the people, not all of the people, many of the young people moving into the Bay Area are sort of like lifted up into this uh, category that like, I, I think we forget here. I certainly do. And I sense that from a lot of the people that I interact with, that like, we forget that this is an incredibly weird microcosm that we're living in, in this place. And like most of the world does not function the way that we are functioning here in the mm-hmm. Bay Area um, in terms of status and job and income. And things like that. And yeah. And I, and I wonder about that, like when people leave here and eventually when I leave here, like what does that do for our mindsets around creating community? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's Mm. such, such a good point. I mean, so many of the people who do come here, like you said, come here with a professional goal in mind that this place is uniquely designed to help them accomplish or provide Mm -hmm. more opportunities for. And, um, that's also a challenge, right? For focusing on cultivating relationships or friendships is like, mm-hmm. if you're focused on career, like maybe you're prioritizing that over like building strong social network in person. 
that's a non-transactional social network, you know, like a lot of interactions here between people are, do you have that veneer of like, oh, well, I'm, can you help me promote this thing? Or how can I help you accomplish that professional task or whatever? And so there's a transactional professional nature that isn't, again, it's not inherently bad, like, but it's weird when you're trying to actually make a real friend and someone else is trying to like network with you. Um, Mm -hmm. And maybe isn't as invested in like just knowing you for the sake of knowing you, but it's more so like, you know, there's this feeling of one of the women I interviewed for the book talked about moving from here to uh, Santa Fe and described how like there people just wanted to get to know her because they thought she was, you know, a nice and interesting person, which she is versus here. She just said there was such a a feeling of like, what are you going to do for me? What am I going to do for you? You know, and not in like a gross usy way, but but a usy way that's a non altruistic friendship way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I totally know that vibe, and and it's funny even that like sometimes, at least in my experience, I've definitely become almost um, like blind to it in some ways, and like forgetting that like yeah, sometimes I can sit down and like have tea with a new friend without going over our resumes and all of the things that we're working on professionally, unless that happens to like really be of interest in the conversation. But yeah, I do find so much of, of my interactions with new people revolve around like, how can I help you? And it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't need you to help me. I just want to like be your friend. um, (laughs) Yeah. We forget that. Oh man. What do you think? Um, in your experience with like the the people that you've spoken with and in your work in writing your book, um, what do you think that most people are like craving in their interactions with other people that they're not getting? And obviously it's many things, but what are some of the really big ones that stick out to you? Thank you for framing it as many things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's really, my least favorite question is like, what's the one thing? It's right. like, there's never just one answer. Like, what's your one favorite? It's like, oh, there's not one favorite. So it many is favorite. many things. Exactly. It is many things. Um, but some of the big ones, certainly, that come up are, um, so a sense of being really known mm. and understood. So, for example, one of the women I interviewed was describing how she had some newer friends that she had made in her life and they were still on that like getting to know you. She'd known them for like maybe a year or two, but she was still like in that getting to know you phase, which was really different than like a friend who she had known from high school who just knows like her history, knows what her family is like, knows what her sense of humor is like. Mm. And the analogy she gave, she's like, this is the kind of friend where like when something weird happens at a party, they give you a look and uh, that look contains everything in it. Uh, it's like, I know that you hate this. I, did, I saw what just happened and I know that you hate this and we can leave if you want to. And uh, it's just a facial expression. And, like, <laughs> and she's describing like that's the kind of friend she wants is like being known mm-hmm. on such a deep level that this person can like interpret an experience that they witnessed you have and like knows exactly what you need in that moment. Yeah. And that's hard to do with someone that you just met. 10 days ago or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sense of like really being known. And also I heard a lot of craving for simplicity in hmm. interaction. So what I mean by that is the flip side of that, I'll say, is the effort 
that it takes to get together with a friend. When mm-hmm. calendars don't align, people feel like between work life and relationships and family, they're very busy. And so then maintaining a friendship feels like another like job to be done. Mm-hmm. That is not joyful. <laughs> um, versus like the simplicity of just having contact with friends that like doesn't require scheduling many days or weeks in advance or like being able to pick right up where you left off mm-hmm. and not feeling like, okay, well, I saw you for this dinner. So I guess I'll see you again at Christmas. You know? right. <laughs> um, wanting more regularity that comes with simplicity. And some of that has to do with the way we orient ourselves to time. Like a whole section of the book is oriented around overcoming busyness and an addiction to busyness as a mindset mm-hmm. because it's, it's a barrier to connection. Yeah. So really making room in our lives and becoming attenuated to different habits with how we orient ourselves to time so that we can have space for the relationships that nurture us and fulfill us and that we, you know, reciprocally nature and uh, offer to others. Something I find very interesting about our current situation of being home and sheltering in place or quarantining is that, you know, there's the balance of our days has shifted, you know, without having to commute and without having for many people to commute to an office um, or to a workplace and being at home, like there's suddenly this time. Um, Shout out to all the parents. I know maybe you didn't want all that time to be around the clock parenting, (laughs) but for the folks who don't have kids, especially there's just this time. They're like, what do I do? I've already watched all of Netflix. I read all of the internet, like what's next. Um, And so it's different where the challenge now is how to fill that time with something meaningful Mm-hmm. so that you can still feel connected and bonding with people that you care about from a distance. Oh, there's so much good stuff in what you just said. I, I love that yeah, the need to be known and seen in, in our relationships is so important. And it's something that I think really gets lost when we're talking about connection because so much of the conversation around connection is like how to have more people in your life essentially like how to meet people and like that is not the same thing as feeling connected it is not the same thing as feeling mm-hmm. heard and feeling seen by your friends and i can definitely attest to that though like i'm someone who like i have a beautiful community here in san francisco i'm a leader in the community i like am around people all the time and like i still experience extraordinary amounts of loneliness and a lot of that has to do with like if i'm just having a day or week or month where i'm like people are not seeing me right now. And I don't feel like people are hearing this challenge that I'm going through or really witnessing this part of me that I feel like is really important and needing attention. Um, and yeah, like it's, it's so much more nuanced than just having people around and meeting new people and being social. And so I really appreciate you bringing that perspective in. Yeah. Thank you. And also with um, yeah, everything that you're saying going on with the social distancing and, and needing to make it meaningful. I've, <laughs> I think like at the beginning, first of all, like most of us, I feel like this has been going on for so much longer than it has. And so it feels like we've been through many lifetimes already in just the three weeks or so that we've (laughs) been doing this. But um, yeah, I remember in the beginning seeing so much about like, think of all the amazing stuff you can do with all of your time now. And like, you can write a book and you can start your podcast and you can do your art projects and whatever. And all of that is true. But I, I think like with more time, there was there were more things coming onto the internet of like, you also don't have to do all those things and you can find meaning 
without being productive. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's so much um, pressure to, I think mostly thanks to social media to like really handle things a certain way right now. And just like no one, no one has the answers to this. This is totally unprecedented. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think these types of things of like pressuring us to to react a certain way to all of this is like part of what makes people feel lonely right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking that there's like one way you're supposed to be or feel right now. When, mm-hmm. I mean, just speaking for myself, like every day it's different, you know, mm-hmm. some days I wake up and I, I'm open to being social and I might do like, three or four calls in a day. And then other days I just don't want to talk at all. You know, mm-hmm. I just want to create or I just want to like be still. There's, yeah, there's no one right way to handle something that we've never encountered before in our lifetime. Do you have thoughts? And I'm, I'm asking this because this is one of the things, there are a lot of things that are anxiety provoking about the current situation the world is in, but this is probably the one that gets me going the most. I, I really worry about people's mental health right now um, yes. and people just not having the resources. And to me, it, I mean, like, yeah, I'm struggling with my mental health and I'm one of the most well-resourced, well-resourced people I know in terms of connection practices mm-hmm. and things like that. And yeah, I really yeah worry about people who don't feel safe enough to reach out for help and who don't know where to reach out for help, even if they want to. Um, yeah, I'm curious just what your what your mindset is around all of this. Yeah, I definitely have heard of a lot of the like therapist networks being like inundated with demand right now. Um, at different times in my life, I've like considered, I was like, should I become a therapist? <laughs> like now I'm like, I would really be of service right now. Um, And yeah, my heart definitely goes out to folks who are like really wanting to connect with more of those kinds of resources um, for mental health support, even though I know that a lot of the therapists are also feeling really strained and like at capacity right now. Um, I also worry about the wave that's coming in this country of grief um, Mm -hmm. for many lives that will be lost from this pandemic. And Mm -hmm. I sort of sometimes get into an anticipatory emotional state, um, which is like a weird state to be in because I feel like it's going to help me handle the real thing by getting myself ready for it. But then I'm just actually like suffering early. Um, But yeah, I'm conscious of the fact that like in a short while, there's going to be a first wave and then probably another wave of like people who will be experiencing tremendous loss and sadness as a result of um, folks who aren't going to make it from this pandemic. And I'm worried about that. Um, yeah, it's, I'm not really sure. Th- I, I don't have like a, some perfect sparkling answer to this question. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause I think I'm actually like in the same place that you are right now. Mm-hmm. of just like feeling a level of concern and trying to do what I can to offer support in the meantime. You know, part of the reason why I was driven to write Connected from Afar and to release this as quickly as I can over the next couple of weeks is that in the absence of having access to, like, say, 
100% of all the resources you could possibly need for managing your mental health. Like the one thing that is guaranteed to be supportive for your mental health is having healthy connections to people mm-hmm. that you care about and that care about you, whether they're friends, whether they're family, whether they're your neighbor, like whatever it may be, it could be a partner, whatever. It's like maintaining and deepening that connection, even if it's from a distance, because we can't meet face to face, is one of the healthiest things we can do for ourselves right now. And so that's why I'm focusing like my energy on being of service in that way is like putting out this resource that will help you like have moments of like meaningful connection that are not about talking about coronavirus. You're going to, it's like, Mm -hmm. there's one thing in there that's like, okay, if you need to get it off your chest, go. But then the entire rest of the book is focused on like, here's other things you can focus on that will help you have a closer and stronger bond with the people that you, that you have in your life. Mm. May have to be over the phone, may have to be over the computer, may, maybe in snail mail and the writing, like use whatever method that works for you. But there's so many ways to tap into connection and to tap into the fact that you're alive right now, the fact that you can be creative, the fact that you are a vessel for oneness with that other person. Yeah. And that is still possible. It's yeah. not as easy as face-to-face, but it's still possible. And it's actually really important for taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that you've said all that. And it's, as we know, like social relationships, meaningful social relationships are one of the most important things for our physical health too. And yes. it's so, so vital. And yeah, we we miss out on a lot of like the richness of being in person with someone and getting to touch someone if we want to touch someone and getting to make eye contact. And these things really matter for our nervous systems. But yeah, there's still so much that's possible. And actually someone who I was just speaking with recently, she said, because um, I've sort of been in this mindset of like, Oh, the online connection, it's only like 30% of what real person in-person connection is like. And like, that sucks so much. And I've been really feeling down about that. And she said to me, uh, a friend of mine, she said, like, yes, we miss out on so much not being in person, but also so many of like the social structures and the unconscious things we kind of think and feel about one another in person get really taken down when we're not in person. So feeling like um, she was describing it like if... um if a team is a work team is getting together, like a lot of times those um, like, Oh, I'm the boss and you're the employee, that Mm. kind of social structure kind of gets taken down when we're both just sitting in our living rooms and your boss's kids are climbing all over them. And like, everyone just becomes a person again. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I think there, there is so much opportunity, like you're saying to do these things virtually and it's not just an opportunity. It's a necessity um, for both our mental and physical health. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to be done. Yeah, I just wrote a blog post recently about how with the remote work piece that you mentioned, like, I actually see a lot of potential here for this being a boon for belonging, because so much of Mm -hmm. going to a workspace is about performing or like wearing something that like your coworkers are going to think you're wacko or like, you know, showing up (laughs) and like having like perfect presentation or, you know, there's so much judgment and so much performance that goes into showing up to a workspace. But when you are home and like you said, like the kids are climbing on you or your cat like jumps in there or your partner walks through or your kid throws up, you know, whatever. (laughs) It's like, guess what? You're part of that person's real life in Mm -hmm. a way that like regular work doesn't allow for. And, you know, we like 
try to sanitize that part out of it and then pretend we're going to bond at some like offsite once right. a year in this like weird ass environment. Like nobody even likes going to this mandatory fun thing, but it's supposed to bond you. It's like, you know what's bonding? Being real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting to know each other for who you really are. And guess what? When you're home and there's your life right there in the camera, <laughs> that's the real you. And yeah. so I actually think there's uh, an enjoyable potential positive outcome of this is that people experience like greater belonging within their team when they realize like I don't have to hide or perform as much and I'm still accepted oh yes 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 I agree so wholeheartedly I'm curious as someone who has who has had um a significant amount of experience in corporate spaces Mm -hmm. how do you think because I also am having this moment of like, oh my God, this is when belonging in the workplace becomes everyone's number one value. Like it should have been at everyone's number one value because it's right? the most important thing. And now it's like in our faces of like, if you don't start caring about your employees' mental well-being, then they're, you're going to lose them. Like the, they're fucking out. Like they don't care about your company more than they care about themselves. No way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, yeah, I'm thinking part of me is like, oh, this is it. This is the time. <laughs> and then <laughs> I'm also worried like, Ooh, what if when all this ends, like we forget? And I'm curious if you think, like, what are the ways that companies need to maintain this bond that is hopefully getting created over this month and the next? I think it would be wise to, for business to adapt itself to what it's learning right now in this experience. And to not try to like snap back into position with like whatever the previous, Mm -hmm. you know, paradigm was, because that's going to be very disorienting for staff and very Mm -hmm. alienating. And on some level, like dehumanizing, it's like trying to erase the the realness that this moment is making possible. And Mm. that's not going to work. Like you said, like, the staff are going to be like, I'm out of here. Actually, you don't care about me. Um, and I think that like, that would just be such a loss mm-hmm. because what is possible right now and what these companies are getting from like going into this space of uncertainty and unknowingness and realness and messiness, it's like, you can't recreate this in an office setting. And it's only under such a bizarre condition that this level of intimacy can yeah. enter the workspace, the work team, the work community. And so building on that and moving forward from that place of like, you don't obviously have to try and maintain it at the same level, but maybe that changes the way that team leads look at creating moments of connection or belonging for their team after this. Maybe it changes the way that they look at their inclusion programming. Maybe it changes the way that people have conversations. Maybe it Mm -hmm. changes the way, you know, there's just so much possibility for change that can all be super positive. And that would have been really, really hard to like shoehorn into the workplace without this like really weird condition forcing it on everyone, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it would just be a tremendous loss to let that go and to not take the like leg up that this um, strange condition has made possible. 
Mm. for connection, for realness, for intimacy, for truly being known, for truly being accepted, for like non-erasure, for less performance, like performative action, I mean. Um, Mm. It's just too good to just throw away or walk away from. Yeah, yeah. I'm really sort of having this hope that when people enter the workspace again, there will just be this complete lack of tolerance for like bullshit surface level conversation. And people will just be like, really, Susan, like you can't give me this surface level uh, response (laughs) because I've seen you in your pajamas with coffee stains all over your shirt. Like you need to give me something real here because this is how we know each other now. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Oh, what a world. Yeah. I really do think there's, there's so much opportunity that like we can't ignore right now that we're all sharing this experience and that we will never be able to say that again. I mean, like hopefully in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Well, I want to be mindful of our time here and two things before we close out. First, I want to make sure everyone knows how they can stay connected with you and follow all the things that you are doing. Um, And then I'm going to ask you a series of some lightning round questions to close. Ooh, fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love questions. Yes, (laughs) I knew you would. Um, Great. So yeah, please let us know uh, where we can stay connected with you and follow everything you're doing. Cool. So uh, if you want to just reach out to me as a person or like professionally or whatever, my website is catvelos.com. That's K-A-T-V-E-L-L-O-S. If you want to keep up on my books or my workshops or events, the blog and all that stuff is at weshouldgettogether.com. And to find me on social media, on Twitter, just at catvelos. And on Instagram, that's catvelos underscore author. And those are where you find me on the interwebs. And I'm so excited for a lightning round of questions. Oh, yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Let's dive in. All right. First one, um, what is something that most people wrongly assume about you? That I am extroverted. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, a social introvert. Or that I want to be social all the time. (laughs) Social introverts. Fooled ya. I'm going (laughs) to, gotcha. I'm going to ask a follow-up, like a double click question. I'm curious, what's your idea of like an ideal Friday night? Oh my God. An ideal Friday night would be probably um, getting to be outside where it's warm enough that I don't need a sweater or jacket of any kind. (laughs) And I am having a whiskey ginger with one of my best friends. And, um, and we're going to have tacos for dinner and, um, maybe in a little while, like three to four more people max are also going to come over, whether it's like (laughs) partners or other friends, whatever, um, very small gathering of no more than six, uh, favorite people, warm, delicious Mexican food and a good drink. Oh, let's please spend a Friday night together at some point. That sounds fabulous. <laughs> yes. Uh, I love the like the one-on-one time and then like other people get to come in after you've had sort of that deeper connection. That's beautiful. Exactly. Mm. It's all on purpose. <laughs> That's right. Um, what is something that you would like to be acknowledged more for in your life? Hmm. Something I would like to be acknowledged for in my life. I mean, right now, I just want to connect with people around the things I create and put into the world because that's being 
I feel validated as a creator when I share something with the world and I get feedback, you know, like a woman who read we should get together, like emailed me from France. She's like, I live in the Alps and I'm trying to make friends. She's like, can I ask you a few questions? Wow. I, I love this book, but can I ask a few more questions? And like, that was awesome because it made it real because sharing, creating something and putting it in the world can often just feel like a one-way transmission. But what I want to have is a conversation. And so um, it's kind of like a big conversation starter. And it's so validating when somebody like speaks back, mm. you know? Yeah. That's oh, delicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who in your life considers you a role model and why? Who in my life considers me a role model and yes. why? Um, well, my, I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And at different times, they've each very sweetly told me that they consider me a role model mm. um, or said that they look up to me, which is like so, so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the reasons why they've said that have uh, related to like being passionate about life, being passionate about creating, being passionate about like contributing to the world. Mm -hmm. And it, and I'm hopeful that they hold on to those things about how I live my life and it affects hopefully how they live their lives as well. And I think it does. And I see evidence that it does. And so that's really fulfilling. Oh, beautiful. Okay, last question, and I'm very curious to hear your answer on this. Uh, what is one of your favorite questions to ask other people to help you to get to know them? One of my favorite questions to get to know other people, um, well, I can think of two. Can I say two? Oh, you may. <laughs> one is, uh, tell me about a time you tried to get away with something as a kid. Oh, I love that. <laughs> And the other is, tell me about a time during the last year when you felt really alive. Hmm. Oh, those are both so great. And such be- like different, beautiful windows into a person. <laughs> they can really tell you a lot about, about somebody, like the things they value or how risk averse they are or like yeah. what kinds of things make them feel alive. And um, yeah, I just love both of those questions. I keep them in my back pocket. They're my favorite. Yeah. Ask good questions. Yeah. These are great questions too that you're asking. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much, Kat, for, for taking some time out of your day today to speak with me and share with all of us, all the things that you're working on and, and your thoughts on all of this. And it's such a, such a funky time. And I'm so grateful to know you and to be in your field of of the work that you're doing because it's so important. Thank you. And you too, Kyla. Gosh, this was such a good conversation. I wish all conversations were this good. I know. Yeah. It's it's funny because when you were um, at the connection event that I hosted online and you were saying, I wish we could just put up our fingers like one through five of like, I don't want to answer that question. Or like, I really (laughs) want to answer that question. I was like, damn, yes, we should do that in real life more often. (laughs) It's so good. We'll try to spread it. We'll try to like, you know, get that out there, fertilize it. Yeah, make it a thing. People be like, why are you holding up numbers? And be like, oh, this is a thing. You don't know. You hold up a number to show how much you want to answer that question. (laughs) This is me not wanting to tell you where I'm from because I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, thank you. (laughs) Oh, this is such a delight. Thank you so much, Kyla. And uh, stay. let's be in touch. I'm happy we're in each other's worlds. And yeah, we'll be in touch again soon. For sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
All right, everyone, that's the episode with Kat. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned as much as I did from this beautiful conversation. I definitely, definitely recommend checking out her book. It is amazing. It is on my bookshelf right now. Once again, reach out to me via email through my website, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, and let me know what your thoughts are on the podcast in general. If there's something you're really enjoying, if you prefer solo casts over guest episodes, if you're listening to podcasts or not really listening to podcasts these days, I want to know. All right. I love you all so much. See you next week.